This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental I don't know planes that they're building? police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome everybody to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Josh, I think. Is it, what day is it? Are you Josh today? I was wondering who you were going to be. Mm. Uh, I'm tired. No, I'm it's not. been a week. Going on. It's been a week, dude. Thank it God. Been. It's over. So, yeah, and then I got a road trip to go visit my other site next week. So I got to go to uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Oh, and I chose nice. to drive there because I don't want to fly because of everything. And it's like 12 hours. Did you get a rental? No, but they'll, they all pay for wear and tear. I mean, do they? yeah, I'm just, rental's just as bad. Do I know they wipe that shit down? Yeah, I don't, they you know. did. They want to keep their company going. They don't, I'm they hoping, don't, but. They don't need that scandal. Yeah, Enterprise true. doesn't need fucking, well, they traced it to a, well. This one Toyota I, rental car. I don't remember what exactly it was, but one of the rental agencies had a pretty big scandal like a month ago. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I wish I, I could remember that. what it is since I'm bringing it up, but it was like. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> uh, I think it had something to do with like the Black Lives Matter protests or something. Mm. It was just weird. And a rental car? Yeah. It sounds like a setup for a joke. What does Black Lives oh, Matter Oh, no. It I was. Don't, uh, I, don't the, I don't know. I don't know. What do you call four line, people? But... Black Lives Matter, get out of a Corolla. I think yeah. it was uh, them renting minivans to the feds to snatch people off the streets in Portland. Oh, oh so those that pieces of right. shits were just. Getting the old rental cars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Illegally detaining Jesus people. Christ. Ah, perfect. Yeah, so I mean, why wouldn't you, right? So much you don't want to use your own rate. Yeah. You don't want to use your ra- own rape van to do that, do you? You got to rent somebody else's. So God anyway. Bless America. Well, hopefully it'll work out. It's not too bad. So I've got that going on Tuesday. Uh, it is Labor Day weekend. And actually, we're at John's now, which is different format. It is. Yeah, yeah. we're in my little office. That mm-hmm. If you ever watch any of the mm-hmm. Zoom videos, you can kind of see some of it. It's bigger than it looks on TV. That's what, That's she, what said. she said. Oh, ah, yeah, there <laughs> we go. Oh, Jesus. There we go. Well, I mean, we will be talking about a lot of that. So, Oh, touche. So, yeah, actually, hopefully you guys caught part one of um, the talk with Jack Parsons. So crazy if story. If you go didn't, back and go listen. back and listen to it. I mean, you don't have to, but it makes more sense if you do. Um, so as we discussed, this is going to be part two, and this is going to be the end of the season, end of season three. We're going to catch a break, do some research, gather some stuff up. Um, Take a nap. Yeah, and really, yeah. we're say we're taking a break. But it's not we're just not going to be putting out a couple episodes for a minute. Yeah. But we're going to still be researching and trying to get some new content. Yep, for sure, for sure. New content, and there's new stuff on the horizon for season four, so uh, possibly a new logo change, some other things. I don't know. Exciting exciting times to be a fan of Strange Uncles and doing a podcast. Just so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So anyway, with all that being said, I don't know, you guys have any other homework added on or we want to roll into this? Oh, uh, let's go. Let's go? I don't have anything else to say. Fantastic. Well, like we said, part one, we covered uh, Jack Parsons' early life. 
You can go back and listen to that. Uh, so far, it's a very intriguing tale. And again, John and I have books. Josh has a huge research on it just from knowing the story. Um, I'm so between I'm the Tyrion three, Lannister of our podcast. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I just drink and I know things. Yeah, right. Um, so I think we're going to continue to weave this tale. And so stand by for the wonderful world of Marvel Parsons. Open the gates. I have an intro, but not on my buttons. Okay. So. So we want to kick off. We want to kick off with the levels. We want to start there and go, hey, just to know how organized this was. And then we can go into the mansions, the commune, all that other yeah. bullshit. Yeah, just be like, Jack Parsons was into some wild occult stuff. Um, he was a member of the Oto, which is I part of the. I should probably start the clock too. Oh, yeah, there you go. I'm kind of watching the time, but not a lot. You know, a member of the <clears throat> Lima, like part of, it's part of like the Lima's Crowley shit. Yeah. Well, I'll cover the breakdown of the levels just to know like how organized this shit is, and then we can go into his uh, his other weird shit. I'll let you kind of pitch at that. All right, count three. All right, so Jack Parsons. <laughs> First of all, for where we've left off, we covered his childhood, covered his love of rockets, covered his uh, what summoning of Satan at thirteen years old. I mean, and just it got better past that. So we ended you guys with knowing that, you know, he's got his first job. He's still working with his buddy, Ed Foreman, among others. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, you know, he by day, he's this awesome rocket scientist guy that is just breaking bounds right and left. And by night, he's he's a cultist wizard of just unknown origin. You know, so the guy, I mean, you're going to have some hobbies. Hey. Yeah. I mean, they're closely related, right? Uh, Well, yeah. As one would say, but anyway, so that's kind of where he left off and, uh, you know, he's married, he's doing this and he started building a relationship with Aleister Crowley, which we're going to cover a lot into this, uh, this episode. I did want to cover something about the organization that he belongs to. So the whole, um, Odo order Templi Orientis is what it's called. And again, this, like you said, Johnson offshoot of what Aleister was doing. Yeah. He had his own. It's basically, it's, it's part of. Thelema or Telema, however. Thelema. Thelema. Okay, so it's part of Thelema, which is um, Aleister Crowley's, like, new religious movement. Um, So that, yeah, so the Odo is um, just, like, a a part of that. It's like a branch. Right, right, right. Well, just like any any fraternal order Mm -hmm. of anything else, same thing. And then we got the Smith guy on top of that that, Mm -hmm. you know, is kind of passing the reins over to Jack Parsons. And this is his wife, Helen. She's involved in this stuff too. Mm -hmm. Um, And things get thick. But this is what I find interesting. So just like any other fraternal order, you've got levels that you work up to. You know, I mean, if you don't, what's the sense of being part of it? Unless they get a bar you can drink at for free. I love the Eagles just for that reason. Wait, you can go to the Eagles and drink for free? If, if you're, you're so many member, yeah, you got to be a member and you got to be so many years. You have to join the military real quick, though. <laughs> Just in a pinch. That's <laughs> Wait, that's, uh, that's yeah. the Eagles, not the VOA? Oh, I don't know, isn't it? Oh, the, the VOA thing? is another one. Or is it VO Veterans of Foreign Wars? VOFW, yeah, VFW, right? VFW. Yeah. 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 I used to. That's go. where you can go drink underage. Yeah, we used to go party at the VFW and Sugar House all the time. That yeah, that place is cool, man. Quarter, quarter beers. I was a moose member. I think it's part of the moose lodge. I thought about the Shriners just because of the hats, but, you know, couldn't get me in the car, so I didn't want to do that. But anyway, this whole – so this is the the level of what this thing is kind of crazy. And again, people work up. As we talked about before, Jack Parsons did a damn good job in working up and working up quick. He impressed a lot of people in a short amount of time. He knew what he was talking about. And so check these things out. Yeah, Smith thought – 
Parsons was like the Wonder Boy that they've. Oh yeah, Walk on for. Water. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? In all rights, he probably wasn't too far from that. I mean, stone. He's, he's the one bringing Hollywood, making Thelma mm-hmm. sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody else. Everybody else is kind of a no name there. So it's like, yeah, Jack Parsons. You're smart, charismatic. Yeah, good looking. Like you, you're rich. You know, you right. mix around with these. Well, high socialites. Yeah. And like we covered in the last episode, you know, like that Jane gal who was a Hollywood actress that just, she was part of that, you know, yeah. and she was fascinated with Jack Parsons. The one thing about Jack Parsons, which I, you know, I don't know, Josh, you want to cover later on. He was very debonair. Like he had a tongue and that guy could just, he could swoon anybody. He could lick I'm, the vagina off of anybody. I just am picturing the, uh, but Anakin, you were the chosen one meme with that Smith guy as Obi-Wan and Jack Parsons as Oh, Jesus Christ, dude. Sorry, it's making me giggle. <laughs> anyway. anyway. With that being said, check out these levels. Uh, first one, which is like your entry thing, is a mineral. Then it's a man and brother. Then it's magician, master magician, companion of the Royal Arch of Enoch. It gets better, folks. Sovereign Prince of Rose Crew, mm-hmm. Knight of the Pelican and Eagle. Okay. Illustrious Knight Templar of the Order of Kadash and Supreme Companion of the Holy Grail. All right. And we are on level six. There's four more levels. Oh, dope. Um, very illustrious Sovereign Grand Inspector General. Fit That's that a on a business card. Yeah, right. Um, and then Perfect Pontiff of the Illuminati, a Popped of the Illuminati. Then there is Initiate of the Sanctuary of the Gnosis. And then finally, last but not least, Rex Sumus Sanctissimus, Supreme and Most Holy King. Sheesh. That is a mouthful right That's there. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, I want to be a Supreme and Holy King. That sounds dope. You're, you're a king to me. <laughs> Thanks. In my, in my dreams. Go, king. <laughs> you go. Um, so I kind of want to address who Crowley is. And I think mm-hmm. most oh, people yeah. out there know, I mean... Yeah, Black Sabbath has a song about him, or is it just Ozzy Osbourne that Mr. Crowley is that Black, Black Sa- Sabbath? It was Ozzy. Well, his is first it Ozzy one. or Black Sabbath? Oh, Ozzy, not Black Sabbath. Okay. Eighty-one, his first album. Okay. Um, yeah, and I know that I know some of our patrons are definitely wouldn't know who he is and are into a lot of this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which is so. Alistair Crowley, he referred to himself as Baphomet Freighter Perdurabo, the Master Therion. 666 and the great beast um he was a novelist mm. uh poet philosopher mountaineer chess master painter big game hunter um but above above all he was a magician he was uh crowley was born in england in 1875 into a wealthy but austere religious family and as a child he was allowed to read only the bible and at had, That's what did it right there. Yeah. It explains I, a lot of the names of the levels, too. He did not yeah. go down the Bible route. Um, he went down a similar route, I guess, but just kind of yeah. took a fork in the road and made his own religion. <laughs> it was a fork. Yeah. Um, he was totally against, like, British prudery and the strict and structures of Orthodox religion. Um, he proudly positioned himself in direct opposition to God and the established Christian church. And... To this end, he identified himself with the great beast from the book of Revelation. Yes, right. quite. Which yes. I find that I find that part of it very interesting. So, and then I also find interesting that um, he was a master chess player. They just threw that in there, amongst all the other things that he was mm. part of. He was a master. You chess know what player. they left out is that he created the Loch Ness monster. Did he, he created the Loch Ness mm-hmm. monster? Really, I don't know yeah. that story. Summoned it through a portal or some shit. He was doing magic at a. 
at a lodge um, in like right there on the lake. Like he had a mansion there, like towards the turn of the century, mm. and was up to all sorts of weird shit. I, you know, I never heard that story. That's very interesting. Yeah, he, there I mean, was a lot of summoning going some, on. Yeah, some people say he might have, but yeah, that's interesting. It's fun. It's Man, fun. To that think about. for the Loch Ness yeah. monster if he was just summoned and brought out of some other dimension. Like he's just chilling, having a good time with all his Loch Ness yeah. monster friends and, all of a sudden, and family. Zap. He's just, just a, zapped into a lock in Scotland. Like God, what the damn fuck it. is going yeah. on? He's just a plesiosaur fucking roaming a nice, warm prehistoric ocean, and bam, bam, <laughs> in a deep ass mountain lake that's really cold. Motherfucker, where am I? <laughs> I'd never heard that story. That's great. Well, and on top of that, so Alistair Crowley was, well, his book of law, number one, is one of his most popular ones. He had all other kinds of scriptures. And I, who was the uh, the being that in Egypt, the, when he was in Cairo, mm. that came to him? And that's how he wrote the book of I law. Knew it until you it said was, his name. Yeah. Until and you asked me. He was a yeah, very. I was. Yes, I was. He was a very interesting character now. One thing that I screwed up on, I don't know if you guys did too, you know, I got fascinated with Aleister Crowley kind of in the beginning, and I was like, oh, man, this guy's amazing. But in reality, Crowley's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. yeah so he's a yeah. drug addict, and uh, I mean, he kind of lived a sweet life. He just fucking banged and did drugs. Did whatever the yeah, fuck he wanted to do. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean. Um, so, like, can you really fault the guy? I mean, Piece I'll- of shit or a good time? Well, there is a final line to that. Well, there's a couple other pieces of shit we're going to mention in this story. It's pretty wide. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a narrow, thin line that's very easy to cross. There's a bunch yeah. of people out there like, hey man, I love to bang and do drugs. I'm not a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> I, we're not attacking you. Sorry. Yeah, don't write us. We don't want to hear your hear your story. So, well, or do we might want to hear your stories? <laughs> yeah. Actually. Anyway, but uh, yeah, thank you. That's a little, and so, you know, that basically is Jack Parsons' um, mentor, you know, Uh that he just, he would write him back and forth. Um, When he died, they found thousands of these letters that he did. Again, Smith was part of that, which, you know, Smith got the short end of the stick towards the end here, which, They sent him out to pasture. Absolutely. Well, I would say Alistair did mainly. Yeah. But, Alistair Crowley made him, like, go into the middle of nowhere. Just, here you go. some farm and... Jack Parsons' first wife went with him. Mm-hmm. But and, Helen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's just, yeah, they're like, ah, fuck this guy. Get him out of here. Go live. Like, he made him, like, be exiled. Which is the shittiest thing in the world because Smith, number one, he he talked highly of Parsons, mm-hmm. thought he was one, found him in this thing, and then all of a sudden have Alistair turn around. I don't know. Alterian motive is completely fucking through and through, but still, you know, just a crock of shit. Yeah. Um, one thing we were covering in the last episode was the great mansion that kind of that um, Parsons rolled into. And we talked a little bit about it, but I don't think so. This is actually the old Arthur Fleming mansion that they moved to. So him and Helen actually moved there. And like we kind of briefly hit on, it turned into kind of a vagabond fucking uh, anybody. Yes. The stabbing cabin. <laughs> That's what wasn't on the doorbell, cabin. but wow. yeah. This is a little uh, note from... A writer, his name is Iris Chang. Parsons had a mannequin dressed in a tuxedo on his front porch, upon which he placed a sign saying, The Resident. Next to the mannequin was a bucket for the mailman to place all the mail that was so addressed. And it just sat there. So that's just eclectic bullshit that Mm. Jack was part of, you know. And Actually, that's a fucking hell of an idea. (laughs) And you don't have to worry about it. Well, he advertised for people, artists and painters and writers mm-hmm. and and you know yep. his to list, come. his listings for uh potential roomies were basically 
he wanted atheists and people who had a bohemian lifestyle and outlook on life and mm. uh, no exceptions. Yeah. Definitely. Anybody no that religious. was never had a plan on life and they're just creative. He's just going for creative, I think, at this point. But I mean, how creative? There's a fine line between that and being a fucking douchebag. Yeah. So, it's kind of like, uh, you know. It says here, like, occultists rub shoulders with nuclear scientists, rocket scientists ate breakfast with science fiction aficionados, and children ran freely through the house. That so right there would drive was, me crazy. It was just a free-for-all, um, sex, drugs, crazy ideas Yep, were, were permitted and also encouraged, which is fucking cool. I, I mean, I guess if... You know, who, if, you're not har- if you're not hurting anybody but yeah. yourself. It definitely seems like a lot of these people kind of took advantage of Parsons. So. Oh, yeah. I, absolutely. I, I think mean, with his notoriety. And Crowley. Like, he, like Parsons just funneled money to Crowley. Like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. That's yeah. another note. To and I feel said, like yeah. Crowley just manipulated him so hard. Yeah, that's part of why. Well, yeah. we'll get to that later. But, yeah. Yeah. So, they moved to this mansion. We talked about the police, talked about everything else. Um there was other people that came to live at the mansion. Do we want to get into that, or do we want to wait on that tidbit? I mean, let's – so, well, let's back up. So, Jack Parsons' first wife, Helen, mm-hmm. they started going through problems, and Jack Parsons just wanted to – he wanted to be rid of her. But he still he still loved her. He still, you know, he didn't hate her by any means, but he was just, you know, he – it's all about like free love before there was free love. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. He, he, she was a drag at the orgies. Yeah. He, he wanted to bang and she, you know, wasn't fulfilling his sexual desires and fantasies right then. So, um, he kind of pawned her off on Smith, like we said. Right. Right. And he formed a romantic relationship with Helen's underage sister, Betty. Oh yes. Betty. And I guess Betty was kind of a firecracker. She, you know, she wasn't afraid to voice her opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jack was just uh, drawn to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started having a wildly inappropriate relationship with an underage child. Yeah. She was like, what, 17? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, 16, 17. Yeah. She was not old enough by any means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh a little too young for consent, but you know. Yeah, so it it also maybe different times something. Uh, I mean, well, Elvis Presley married his cousin, so you know Yeah, I mean that. Like I've said before, in that era of America and still today, you can get away with a lot of shit if you're a handsome, smooth talking white guy. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately. Well, well, yeah, he did take up with that. Here's a little tidbit too. And then John, I'll throw it back at you. So there's versions of this, like how he met Betty, because you know, it kind of, it was weird kind of how it occurred because one minute Helen was there and the next minute Betty was there mm-hmm. and there was really no, you know, people kind of saw it in the back, but it was easy, sleazy and quick. Um, some of the version of the events say that Parsons took up with Betty before this, um, after Helen was sent out uh, for some family matters. When Helen was out of town, Parsons told his old friend Rapinski, I got rid of my wife by witchcraft. Uh, and then born April 8, 1925, Betty was tall, 5'9", slender, with blondish brown hair. Like Helen before her, Betty acted at Parsons' priestess at the Gnostic Mass, the pair of fulfilling the roles left vacant by Smith and Call. Parsons' devotion was such that Miss 
Mass was held every single day. Betty was also Parsons' partner in the performance of sex magic, the magic of inducing altered states to prolong sexual ecstasy. Call, on the other hand, was a lesbian. So, you know, there's that. So that kind of describes Betty. Wait, who was a lesbian? Evidently, the Call, this other guy, that, or this other gal that ran with him. So they oh. worked with some of the Gnostic Mass One that they had. One of the ladies had. that did those rituals. So Gnostic Mass was the thing that they, uh, Helen and Parsons started going to. Yeah. And uh, da, 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 I'm going to get this wrong. The Wilm, the Wilford House, maybe? Um, yeah, yeah it was one of those central. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, it was one of those central rituals too. Like it had a yeah. huge part in what they were yeah. doing, and they would they would perform these rituals and stuff. So, um, yeah, that the and it was always Smith and the uh, the call lady that would. Yeah, perform. for for some reason, I thought you were saying that uh, he was saying his wife was a lesbian. I was like, wait, what? Hell yeah! It's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, how does that work? <laughs> Well, I don't think back in, you know, nobody really cared anyway back in those days, I think, just with everything going on. But um, yeah, that's a story, Betty. So that's interesting, no, because it wasn't long that Parsons wouldn't really have Betty uh, because something would occur. And so we're going to go into that here after we come back from break. Uh, Stand by. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? contemplate the other side of reality do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense well look no further than strange uncles find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945 open the gates all right and we're back so as we discussed, there's other characters that are involved. And you know what? When I did this research, I you knew, Josh, mm-hmm. because you have some background. I had no clue that this man was even part of this group. And it just adds another layer to this proverbial onion of sorts, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a fun chapter, for sure. <laughs> I just I can't wrap my mind around it, man. It's crazy. So here it is. So in the late August of 1945, Lou Goldstone, who's a friend of uh, Parsons, brought L. Ron Hubbard over to meet Parsons. He liked Hubbard immediately. As noted, Hubbard had been the model for D. Vance Wimple and White's Rocket to... Oh, so it's a book. I'm sorry. In White's Rocket to the, mor- to the Morgue, he told a lot of war stories, which, though hard to believe, were world-like by most, and he fit right into the unusual assortment of people who lived there. And so that was Hubbard. And he was actually, because he was military, he was Navy, even though, you know, again, most of his war stories probably didn't fucking exist. Yeah, so he had been in Pasadena or L.A., like in that area, uh, mustering out of the Navy. Yeah, he was waiting um, for a discharge, right? Yeah, he had yeah, medical he was, things going on. Yeah, he was basically trying to get a uh, disability um, and complained about everything that, like... Anything he could that you, complain that you have, about that have symptoms that you can't really see, like complaining about like ulcers and and like a mysterious pain in his left side that wouldn't go away and shit. He was trying to scam for money because that's what all he does. He ever did, yeah, L- absolutely. L. Ron Hubbard, yeah, was full of shit all the time, and a lot of uh, a lot of people that were in the ten o three house, mm-hmm. um, aka the stabbing cabin, aka the fuck dungeon, all aka the parsonage, <laughs> aka yeah, right. aka the. I guess it's not a shagging wagon because it ain't oh. on wheels. But hey, man, if the if the 
The shoe fits. rocking, <laughs> don't come a knocking. The, I don't know. The fuck pavilion. We're in there, fuck it. <laughs> the fuck pavilion. God. Um, um, but yeah, like a lot of the residents that were there thought he was full of shit. Mm-hmm. And I, he was described as kind of a guy that you either loved him or you fucking Or you didn't. There's no in between. Or you him. saw yeah. through his shit and were like, and, fuck And what you. I don't get, though, Parsons isn't a fucking dummy. So how did he fall for this? With Hubbard. And those of you who don't know who Hubbard is, which you don't, I you should, but the founder of Dianetics, you know, Church Scientology. of Scientology, all that bullshit. But before that, number one, he was a common, like you said. He was in the Navy trying to muster out, trying to do all the bullshit. But he also had a bunch of he'd write like these dime store novels, these country and these sci-fi books, way yeah. before Dianetics. And a lot of what the book of Dianetics took was his fucking sci-fi stories he took from before. Yeah. And he just compiled. Well, I think L. Ron Hubbard is a master manipulator, Mm -hmm. and I feel like Jack is easily manipulated. Yeah, because like his mentor and hero Crowley is also a master manipulator. Yeah. And and a con man. It's like, yeah, there's a difference between book smarts and street smarts, and I think Jack Parsons definitely had the book smarts. Yeah. No? Um, Okay. But, you know, it's it's those people that just allow you... I'm well, sure everybody out there knows that person or some people out there that just are always being taken advantage of. People see their kindness as weakness. Yeah. Um, um, and, and I think Jack Parsons just really wanted to be involved in this world because he's already over here in his professional life that's so staunch and like right, right. He's got that and dialed square in. and yeah. everything. And he just wants to be so involved in like the exact fucking opposite Well, that's what he accomplished that. Well, and so I'm going to say something controversial yet brave. So brace (laughs) yourselves. Um, And I don't mean this to offend any of our listeners who may be practitioners of uh, magic because I I think it's really interesting and I'm not saying that I don't believe in it or it's not real or anything. I mean, I I think there's some real power that you you put enough of your focus into it. Right. I think. Yeah, absolutely. But, But the brave and controversial statement is um, I think if you're open to believing that kind of stuff that does open you up to someone who is manipulative coming in and, and telling you wild tales and you being like, Oh fuck. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Well, well, well they, know? they, yeah. they know the angle. And if somebody is trying to manipulate and take advantage, they use that angle against yeah. you rather than right. Rather, yeah. Like it's, rather it's than in, for positive and to be like, yeah, let's focus on this and let's like fucking make some, wait a minute. Shit. Are you guys telling me that people are fucking dishonest? It's a, it, yeah, it's an, it's an opening they can exploit. Ex- I guess is ex- how exactly. trying to put yeah, it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. And, and that's another talent in itself that these fucking people can do. So, okay, absolutely. I take back my statement. I did. Maybe he just, you know, yeah, well, he no, wanted so like, much to be part of that. You know, I said basically the same thing when we were, getting ready to record like he was so smart how did he get taken in by this idiot but we just there you go question yeah well and yeah there's uh some some people that live there it's like i recall his eyes the wary light blue eyes that i somehow associate with the gunmen of the old west watching me sharply as he talked as if to see how much i believed um and this guy williamson he's like not much um is williamson the journalist that he ended up being roommates with because they were both broke i believe so yeah yeah and uh there's other people just being like i thought he was a bastard i disliked him thoroughly there was no denying however that love him or hate him believe him or doubt him like we said you know hubbard told one hell of a good story so he was definitely he could spin a tale for sure um scientology 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, and I, I mean, I think we've all known people like that that can tell a really great story and like, even if you know it's bullshit, you're still like that rules. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, well, I mean, stories rule. We all have Netflix and HBO Max and Disney Plus. Like everyone loves a good story, but L. Ron Hubbard used it to exploit people mm-hmm. and to try and, uh, you know, get financial gain from it. Yeah, so yeah. He's a real piece of shit. Absolutely. And she, so, Betty. Betty, the uh, Parsons' second wife. Betty, who was not a drag at the orgies. No, she ruled, apparently. From Rumor has it. Rumor has it. Uh, yeah, like, so Parsons thought that uh, that jealousy was like a baser instinct and that he and, and his friends in the society were and should be above it and uh, all of that and... So, like you said, it was basically free love before free love. So, like, they were all fucking because they were all right. also doing well, sex, sex magic. magic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, he and he encouraged it. He was like, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah. 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 He encouraged come, Betty. Come join to, the club and yeah. do your thing. He encouraged Betty to lie in L. Ron Hubbard's bed and, yep. you know, have sex, even though that was, like, his wife. Um, but that's the thing is, like, every time I hear about these people into free love and into all the stuff and like, no, it's okay. You fuck him and I'll fuck her. And then we'll fuck each other. Like human nature. Jealousy is in human nature. You, you can't, that's you absolutely can't avoid it. Absolutely. No matter, no matter how much you're against jealousy, even if you're like, no, I don't, I 100% don't care. There's still something in you when, when you think even like, Oh man, does L Ron Hubbard fuck her better than I do? Like, well, I mean, obviously, yeah, I, we're gonna we're gonna get into the evidence of that, I guess. Yeah, but. yeah. And so, with that being said, here's a letter. So everything. Well, yeah, I, I guess we can talk about that. Let's talk about that, and then we can roll in this letter. Well, it ended up Betty because of what was happening. Um, Ron L. Hubbard, as smooth talker as he is, before long, just wooed her to the point that now you know Parsons kind of lost her. Completely. Yeah. And yeah. It, and you know? it was, yeah. And it was all of a sudden those two. Right. Yeah. Jack was right. like, my wife. And Elron Hubbard was like, our wife. Uh huh. And, and the thing is, and people it saw in, it though. And then it turned into my wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's no, there's no we in the picture guy. But the thing is, Parsons, it was weird because he was so wrapped up in everything. The, the book I read was uh, them talking about these other people in the house. They saw what was happening with Hubbard and Betty. Mm-hmm. I mean, way before Parsons even realized what was going on. And then all of a sudden, I think it was just to the point, now it's too late. Now mm-hmm. what is he going to do? Now it's already a done deal. Yep. Betty already fell in love with Hubbard. Hubbard already is either in love with her, manipulating her, which more than likely the latter. Well, and another thing to mention about uh, how great of a dude L. Ron Hubbard was is, oh, Jesus. Um, like, he and Jack Parsons were also best friends this they, whole time. They, exactly. And that's what was – so they continued, even with that fallout, even mm-hmm. what had happened, Parsons buried what he wanted to bury. They decided to continue with the plans for the order, continue with their plans together because they had conjurings that they had kind of worked out, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about. But it's interesting because after all this, about around this time, um, Parsons sat down and wrote a letter to Crowley. And this is what the letter said. Most beloved father, about three months ago, I met Captain L. Ron Hubbard, a writer and explorer of whom I had known for some time. He is a gentleman. He has red hair, green eyes, is honest and intelligent, and we have become great friends. 
He moved in with me about two months ago, and although Betty and I are still friendly, she has transferred her sexual affections to him. Although Ron has no formal training in magic, he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. From some of the experiences I deduce, he is in direct touch with some higher intelligence, possibly his guardian angel. He describes his angel as a beautiful winged woman with red hair, whom he calls the Empress, and who has guided him through his life and saved him many times. Recently, he says, because of some danger, she has called the Archangel Michael to guard us. Last night after invoking, I called him in, and he described Isis nude on the left and a faint figure of past partly mistaken operations on the right, and a rosewood box with a string of green beads, a string of pearls with a black cross suspended, and a rose. He is the most thelemic person I have ever met and is in complete accord with her own principles. He was also interested in establishing the new AN, but for congent reasons I have not introduced him to the lodge. We are pooling our resources in a partnership that will act as a limited company to continue and to control our business ventures. I think I have made a great gain, and as Betty and I are the best of friends, there is little loss. I cared for her deeply, but I have no desire to control her emotions, and I can, I hope, control my own. I need a magical partner. I have many experiments in mind. The next time I tie up with one, it will be one on my own terms. Thy son, John. Ah, yes. Takes big man to write words like that. Yeah. You know? So. I mean, I wasn't really that into her anyway. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, you know. (laughs) I mean, he's just trying to convince himself because clearly he was jealous. So, Betty joins up with Hubbard. Mm Mm-hmm. And Hubbard approaches Parsons to start a new business venture. And they're kind of just trying to make money any possible way they really can. And that company is called, let me, let me try and find it. Um, it is a allied enterprises. They wanted to call it. Mm. So Hubbard gets this great idea that, uh, him and Betty will go to Miami go to Florida and buy these three yachts and then they'll sail them back to long beach or where whatever port they're going to do. And then they'll, you know, sell them from there and that's what they're going to do. And Jack Parsons being the, the sweet, sweet man that he was, he was like, yeah, that sounds great. L Ron Hubbard. You'll never fuck me over. Right. You're we're buds, right? (laughs) Like I gave you my wife. You've, We've been doing magical summonings where you've been narrating from your made completely not made up guardian. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's like, okay, let me invest and let me try and find the exact numbers. So he Hubbard convinces him to uh, invest in this business. And Jack Parsons basically invested like right close to his entire savings of $20,970.80. And that was largely gained. So they sold, he sold the house at 10.03 um, after a while. Right. Um, he needed money. He was trying to do some different business ventures and everything. And I mean, I guess we kind of skipped that, but like he, he ended up selling the house, got that money, invested it in this company. So Jack Parsons did almost $21,000 investment while Hubbard only invested $1,183, which is a quite a huge mm, jump. A little bit of a difference. Betty, um, to no surprise of anybody, didn't donate anything. Yeah, she was just invest. along for the ride in yeah. the, as a partnership. Right, yeah. right. 
Um, and with that money, Hubbard and Betty went to Florida, obtained these yachts, and then broke off all communication with Parsons. Yeah. Yeah. And for weeks, he tried to get a hold of them. Tried to get and a hold tried of them. Tried to figure tried. out what was what. And I mean, this is in <clears throat> the late 40s. Uh, so, I mean, phones exist. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know. yeah, it's a lot harder to get a hold of people, but I mean, yeah, but still, but Hubbard and Betty were like purposefully avoiding Jack because yeah, they were, they were ripping him off. They yeah. were ripping him off. They stole his money. They stole all his money. And then they were just going to sail and mm-hmm. do yeah, whatever and the hell of they money, wanted with the yachts that fucking Jack Parsons bought. Yeah. They were going to take that and just go live their life. So Jack Parsons goes to Florida to track these people down. And he ends up figuring out where the marina is, mm-hmm. figuring out where to track them, and he eventually takes them to court. Well, he actually, well, before that, though, what he actually did was um, he conjured a storm uh, yes. to keep them <laughs> to keep them back when they yeah. had to turn back around. He, mm-hmm. summoned, he summoned a squall, which he made quite a big deal about, but he also called the cops to stop them, which he didn't make as big a deal about. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but I mean, that twenty grand in 1946 would have been equivalent to like $265,000. That's what like, I was going to say, yeah, because you looked that up earlier with inflation. Yeah. I mean, that's a fucking chunk of change. You know? That's and a lot of money. Also keep in mind why we talk about this when we talk about him, fucking Robert or Ron ripping him off right and left. You know, they were still partnership in the cult. They were still mm-hmm. doing spells before this. Um, and I want to mention this because this is one of the more popular summonings that they were doing. Alistair was all over it and everything else. And it was called the Babylon Working. Um, and it's, I mean, we're not going to go into detail because of this book that I read, for example, is like two chapters of it. Mm-hmm. And literally it was them for days on end, summoning, chanting, trying to summon this Babylon, trying to make these things work mm-hmm. and happen and open, right, and whatever else is going on, trying to open that portal. Now, a lot of people say that they were successful and they got the portal open and something came through the portal and then they couldn't close the portal again. And that explains some of this weird flap and other stuff that came off this time frame. That Some people say that, but well, I don't know how he, true the fact were, is. They were also trying to summon a new girlfriend for poor now single Jack um, out in the desert. Uh, yeah, that was after the boat fiasco. So he wanted... I'm uh, pretty was sure that, that was own, before or? it. Yeah, I think after the boat fiasco, like uh, Parsons learned his lesson... Eventually. He did. Yeah, they he, broke ties. So after him that. and him and old Elrond um, of the Elven Rivendale community um, did. Uh, they were working magical summonings bef- between El- Elrond, Scoop, and Betty, and the boat fiasco. In between that time, they were trying to summon a new mate for Jack, and they were going into the desert. And uh, like Elrond Hubbard was was like basically chanting and making stuff up and saying that his guardian was telling him to say right right um and uh while jack was doing summonings and uh jerking off basically um (laughs) and uh as one does when they came back from one of these uh there was a woman that showed up at his house that did match the description of what they were trying to summon. Right. Yeah, he was stoked too. Um and then they decided to try and make a moon child. Um which is basically <laughs> a homunculus 
to be inhabited by the spirit of the whore of Babylon, if I remember correctly. And uh, so he was basically banging this new girl constantly while L. Ron Hubbard was like narrating and like somebody yeah. basically reading from. Anyway. Man, I'd just be like, will you pipe down? For yeah. Some so they, and they were doing here. this for I days. fucking concentrate, man. They were doing this for days on end, methed out of their minds. Well, so here's like, the thing. Yeah. And this is one thing that I was in tons of speed. That sounds pretty fun. <laughs> just, well, what are you going to do today? Funny. You should ask. I'm going to smoke a bunch of crack. <laughs> my, my, my best my boy over there. here is going to narrate me banging this girl while we try and summon yeah. something that could potentially end yeah. the world. I mean, don't knock it until you try it. That sounds like a pretty different good strokes, mo- different folks. Sounds like people. a pretty good Monday afternoon to me. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not disparaging it. I just, <laughs> well, I'm the only part I'm disparaging is L. Ron Hubbard's part in it because it wasn't genuine. He was just basically being an asshole. Yeah, fuck Abs- absolutely not. Um, and Shane, I want to interrupt you just for a minute, and then we'll go into what you were saying. By all means, there is an interesting with all of these uh, magical rituals and trying to summon everything. Um. There is a story from Ed Foreman, Jack's lifelong friend, lifelong partner. Right, right. Um, that he he was always along with Jack. He just thought this was his hobby. And he was like, you know, if whatever, if that's what you're into, I'm into it. Sure, it's fun. Whatever. I don't. He never, Ed Foreman never really took it very seriously until one occasion when he was staying at the house at 10.03, he had an experience that apparently to Ed Foreman's family lasted forever. Mm. Like it mm. stuck with him always. And this is a pretty crazy story. Um, and let me, let me find it right here. So let's see. Sorry. So Foreman was returning to his bedroom late one night following the performance of a ritual when he felt the whole house shake. At the same time, he heard a piercing scream coming from outside his window and looking out of it. He would recall he saw a number of horrible entities floating outside his window, what he recognized as banshees, female spirits whose wailing warns of a death in the house. With the sound of their screams filling his ears, he rushed downstairs to ask the other members of the house if they too could hear it, but nobody could. Up until then, he had not believed in Jack's hobby, uh, remembered Ed Foreman's uh, wife, now he was absolutely terrified, and the events of that night would unsettle Foreman for the rest of his life. Wow. So, I mean... I mean, that, that would unsettle me. I mean, if that... Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, like, I take his word for it, because if that didn't happen, why would that... Yeah, why would someone who is like, hey, man, it it's cool that you're into that, but it's not really my thing, and I kind of don't think it's real. Yeah. Be like, holy fucking shit. What the fuck was yeah. that? Like, yeah. Yeah, because if you don't believe in it, then you don't believe in it, and then nothing ever happens, and then you just go on with your life, and you never have that. Yeah, exactly. And and, and like, why would you talk about it for the rest of your life? Right, yeah. right. I mean, that's that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's oh, like, man, I still that's talk about the Ouija board story from when I was sixteen. Yeah. Hey, whatever you know, things affect us. That's exactly, it, especially when you're in this realm and this work, and we're we're interested in what we are interested in. It's not like oh shit, my turnips didn't grow this year. No, this is a little bit bigger of a problem. You know, I'm sure you're not going to forget about it. But anyway, with that being said, um, we're going to do some quick wrap-ups with uh, Hubbard after we take a quick commercial break, and then we'll move on to the rest of Jack Parsons' life. Stand by. Listen and find additional content at mystrangeuncles.com or wherever you get your pods. 
please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us gain visibility. You can call us at 801-252-69-45. You can also find us on Twitter at Strange Uncles. On Instagram and Facebook, Strange Uncles Podcast. Close the gates. All right, and we're back. Um, let's wrap up the bullshit with Hubbard and actually <laughs> the shitty end of the stick that Parsons ended up with. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Parsons took Hubbard to court, and the court settlement ordered Hubbard to give Parsons a promissory note of $2,900, and that's a far stretch from the $21,000. Mm-hmm. Christ. It's like 10%. Uh-huh. And Parsons agreed not to press any further charges, and it's basically because Betty had threatened to press charges against him over their past relationship, which began when she was under the age of legal consent. Of course. Why and, not? And um, this kind of left Parsons a broken man. And I thought this was kind of interesting, too. Um, there was another uh, science fiction writer that was kind of following Parsons and Hubbard's drama mm-hmm. that was basically going on and he, this dude wrote a letter that says uh the more complete story of hubbard is that he is now in florida living on his yacht with a man-eating tigress named betty alias sarah another <laughs> of the same kind he will probably soon thereafter arrive in these parts with betty sarah broke working the poor wounded veteran racket for all it's worth and looking for another easy mark don't say you haven't been warned uh Bob Heinlein thinks Ron went to pieces morally as a result of the war. I think that's fertilizer, that he always was that way. But when he wanted to or get something from somebody, he could put on a good charm act. What the war did was uh, what the war did was to wear him down to where he no longer bothers with the act. Jesus. Yeah. So good About guy. sums it up. Good guy. Good guy Hubbard over yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so um, Scientology Jesus. is fucking bullshit. L. Ron Hubbard is a piece of shit. And if you disagree... If you are a scientist, please write us. You're wrong. We would be more than happy to have a conversation with you about this. You know, usually I'm trying to be open to yeah, you know, but that's, other people's that's different. You guys are being suppressive persons right now. And <laughs> it's not okay. Jesus Christ. Your leaders are fraud, sorry. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, did you have a quick tidbit on Hubbard or... Uh, no. No, I, I, think, I think that's... Good enough. I would just say, yeah. um, if you're interested in like a, a much more detailed uh, rendering of the of the time that Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard spent jacking off in the desert, um, you can. There's a behind the bastards episode where they that's just about that because the guy that does that show is obsessed with L. Ron Hubbard. That's so, funny, and it's it's a hilarious episode and also very yeah. Um, detailed the book i read goes way into it but we i mean like you said we could be here for that yeah yeah exactly of just yeah that uh tidbit which is again that just leaves a life of parsons and everything he rolled into just blows my mind well so let's end that chapter okay so yeah he got fucked over totally. it broke him like you said completely like this was one of those things where now he has to go back now he doesn't have any fucking money now he doesn't have anybody to love him on all this other stuff. I mean, it's just one of those things where it, it's absolutely crazy. But he managed to pick up the pieces a little bit. One other thing that he was working on, um, we mentioned earlier the Babylon working that him and Hubbard were doing. Right. Another thing that Parsons wanted was he was trying to reach out and form an elemental. 
This is another ritual that he worked months on to try to, and it really was going nowhere, which even added to the problem. And then at the same time, he had some issues um, in his professional field too. Wasn't he like he, mm-hmm. something had happened with. Um, um, all the people at JPL were sick of his fucking magic shit. And yeah, like it was taken over. The hymn of Pan every time they tried to launch a rocket. So he was asked to leave. And then he basically had a really hard time finding steady work after that. Um, and, uh, but he did like do freelance stuff for people that the U S government probably didn't want him doing freelance Mm -hmm. stuff for. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, a lot of shit happening. Well, and surprisingly enough that this is, I hate to say this might've been, you know, kind of the tail to the end, but it really honestly was. Um, one thing I want to bring up was this. So Parsons' disappointment at the results of the working had been alleviated by the next month. What I'm referencing is his work and his spell on getting an elemental. Mm-hmm. So uh, when, on February 23rd, 1946, he triumphantly wrote to Crowley, I have my elemental. She turned up one night after the conclusion of the operation and has been with me since. Although she goes back to New York next week, she has red hair and slant green eyes as specified. She is an artist, strong-minded and determined, with strong masculine characteristics and a fanatical independence. If she returns, she will be dedicated as I am dedicated. So I was worried about this when he goes through the workings and the spells. He specifically, like he... From clay, you know, if you're built something yeah. from clay, this is how you want a person to look. This is the woman that he summoned with Elron Hubbard. This is well, well, he then what it was was he continued the work yeah, after yeah. the fact, yeah. then. and this is kind of what came from it. So, um, the elemental was Marjorie Elizabeth Cameron, sprung from Parson's head like Sophia from the Godhead or Pallas Athena from Zeus. She actually arrived at the lodge before Parsons left for the desert with Hubbard. McMurdy had just left, and the Babylon working was still in progress, but then they had missed each other. And then when the whole Hubbard thing broke away, then she came back basically to meet Parsons because she was infatuated with him too on her side. Yeah, he was a handsome rich dude with a fuck palace to quote. There you go. Yeah, well, he's not so rich anymore after he gave all his money to L. Ron Hubbard. Well, yeah. Yeah, amongst (laughs) other things too. So anyway, Um, so from this point here, and I guess we can kind of wrap up a, a little bit. Number, he kept experimenting. He kept working with what was happening. Um, there was a point that with everything done, him and this new elemental, you know, you call it what you call it. It was an elemental on his old side. Old Marjorie. Yeah, old Marjorie. She went through and, and they continued to do spells. They continued to do other things. Um, and then sadly enough, I mean, things kind of spiraled from there and it really didn't get much better. Um, do we want to kind of yeah, get well, to the coffin, I guess? I mean, the inevitable happened. It, uh, yeah, I would have to, Through, right? I mean, throughout Jack Parsons' life, he had a million different scares with yep. shit exploding and everything. Right. And, yeah. Right. It, so we should definitely point out again here that at the time, rocketry was in its infancy, and Parsons was very cavalier as far as safety went. Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't think safe. Um, I don't think he, yeah, safety was not in his. Yeah, practice. like, I mean, the dude just had, like, nitroglycerin laying around right. fucking everywhere. Right. Um, But... But also, it was a new science that people didn't know a whole lot about. Like, he was a pioneer. Oh, you know? 100%. Um, yeah, and he just had all that shit just laying around. There was no safety protocols. Like, he threw caution to the wind. Yeah. I mean, he. I think he got kind of a rise out of the, the risk and the... Yes. The adrenaline that, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like... 
Yeah, he was a non-risk-averse thrill-seeker. Yeah, um, and that all came to an end, which I anyone can see coming from a mile away. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. Mean, if I you, mean, well, for any of you that know any th- that know the story, anything about Jack Parsons, you probably know how it ended. But yeah. Yeah. So at 5.08 p.m. on June 17, 1952, Jack Parsons got blowed up. Ugh. He blewed himself up. He if did. he would have just quit at five like a normal motherfucking person. Yeah, fucking the dinner mm. clock rings at five, Jackie. <laughs> but yeah, he fucking blew the shit out of himself. Uh, not sexually, but blown up. You know? Yeah. You know, explosions. He he didn't suck his own dick well, to I death. Well, I mean, if he, if he could have, he would have, first of all. I mean, I'd probably suck my own dick to death if I could. I'd never leave the house. <laughs> Once I figured it out, I, I, where's Shane? Did he quit? What's no, going he's on? He's just sucking his own dick to death. <laughs> so that's why you have that book on yoga poses. <laughs> yeah, the tantra. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a really serious explosion, which, you know, it shouldn't be joked about it. I, I suppose Yet here we are. Yeah. Here we are joking about it. Um, and, Shane, you said he had some famous last words, but I have some stuff here that kind of goes against that. Let's, oh, okay. So, let's is, get the let's, let's get, get the, the legend and then get the fact checks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here this is, and there was a couple of things, and I, I do want to mention just before he covers death that he also one thing because this is kind of a big thing. Um, he part- participated also in. What he called it, it was a great obligation, and it was something that he wanted to. Basically, he signed away that he was the Antichrist in a way. Ah, uh, yes. And I forgot he changed his name to something ridiculous. Yeah, that had Antichrist. In it. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and he basically did another ritual where not only was it scriptures that was written, but literature. So a lot in part one, where I read out of those those readings, was off of that spell that was off that conjuring, where he was trying to. I mean, his fucking life was shit. So he was trying his damnedest to kind of ravel it back together. Mm-hmm. I mean, doing that, his thought pattern was, okay, if I go ahead and I write about my life and where, and I do it third person. And so this is some of the really, the documentation, some of the only ones that exist from Parsons when it comes to the cult came from these spell workings. And it wasn't, it was very, very, very before his death. And, and then of course, you know, his death. So- yeah, let me read this on this. So Gancy and Mrs. Froggish rushed downstairs and pulled Parsons from the wreckage. This was after the explosion, mm-hmm. propping him up against a wall until paramedics could get there. Parsons was coherent enough to give them instructions as he was loaded in an ambulance and taken to Huntington Memorial Hospital at 100 Congress Street in Pasadena. The remarkable man died there at 5.45 p.m., some 37 minutes after the explosion. In March 1946, Parson had cryptically written, and in that day, the manifestation of Babylon, my work will be accomplished, and I shall be blown away upon the breath of the Father. As Parsons lay dying, according to John Bluth, his last words are said to have been, I wasn't done. According to Jane Wolfe, Cameron related them as, who will take care of me now, but it was not he who needed looking after as he had passed on to the other side and he had so fervently tried to bring into this world. So yeah, supposedly those were his last words. Yeah. Um, I allow me to retort <laughs> by all means <laughs> legend meet facts. <laughs> um, so once he was in the ambulance, um, he, the paramedics were saying that 
it looked like he was trying to say something and they could tell like he was trying to say something, but um, his face was so badly damaged um, that he just wasn't allowed to speak. Um, well, should we get into how? Yeah, I was gonna say let's um, was yeah because it yeah. I mean, not to not be, to sound gru- gruesome. Yeah, but, but it's kind of important. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was like totally maimed. Um, you could see his jawbone. Um, I mean. You can go into it a little bit, Shane. If yeah, you know. so um, like you said, his jawbone, it blew him 25 feet away from where it was at. It shattered both of his legs, both of his arms. Oh, except for the right arm, because that one was blown completely off. Um, there was an eye missing, it looked like. Oh, yeah, one eye was like one, just kind of, yep. and yep. the other eye was just not they, there. They didn't even know it wasn't even there. Like his face was fucking blown off, yeah. basically. Like it, it was done. It fractured his pelvis, broke his back. Like there was absolutely nothing left of him. And then no. just shards that were inside of him from the blast. Mm-hmm. Now with the blast, they were saying, I mean, there's skepticism about kind of what happened. Of course, you know, being a bomb guy from the very end, um, they found chemicals, and I can't remember what the big long formula for him, but they found chemicals that he had kind of acquired, I guess let's say that word, that he had kept underneath this hidden floorboard because he had to be stable at all times. They had to be in a cool place. And so how the blast looked and how his, like his right arm was blown off, the, the guesstimation after I looked at the scene was he was trying to mix this concoction. He had reached over for this chemical that needed to be stable. It had slipped out of his hands. He went to grab oh, it. Yeah. And then it went down. And because most of the explosion came from the floorboards up. And then blew him back. And so that's their speculation of kind of what happened was he just fucked up Butterfingers, Uh you know? Well, and I mean, if you're going to be that casual about highly dangerous explosive things. Hidden in your floorboard. (laughs) But the crazy thing about that, like you list all of those injuries and all, I mean, God damn it. That's so horrendous. Um, He was conscious pretty much the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's amazing. I mean, it was. So like he was, and so he lived through all of that pain it's not like that you know his arm blew off his face blew off everything was dead inside Mm -hmm. and he was just out cold like no he suffered through every minute of that which yeah which sucks man you know that that guy that guy doesn't deserve that no no. i mean nobody really very few people well i was gonna say better retort that there's Um, a few there's a few (laughs) there's there's, i got some on my list i'm (laughs) popping my so there's also speculation um, that this was like a magical working gone wrong or You're right, right. Or that was another one. Repercussions from previous magical workings, like, you know, yeah. basically reaping the whirlwind. Mm-hmm. There were also speculations that he was assassinated. Uh, some of the work that he did after being booted from JPL was for oh, uh, that's right. yeah. the Israeli government. Right. Um, newly formed Israeli government. Um, and, uh, some things like that. And the FBI had been watching him. So, um, basically there are theories that he had too much knowledge that, uh, in his, in his head that the U S government didn't want him working freelance. Right. Right. Um, or, and then there's also theories that, uh, Israel had like the, the Israeli government had him killed for whatever reason. Cause he'd been working with them and didn't want to anymore or some shit. So, um, but yeah, lots of theories around what could have just been an accident or, or was it supernatural or yeah. 
an assassination. Which I think that's that's what makes the story and the end of his life as horrible as it is, because he died young. I mean, still at that. At yeah, 50, he was. You know. Yeah, he was like thirty nine or something. But it just um, it it absolutely amazed me because it just it interweaves and adds another layer to this whole thing of how it occurred, and then of course all your speculations on the backside. Just oh, yeah, Jesus. And I mean, you, I guess you can speculate a lot, and it's easy to get down a conspiratorial road. But oh yeah, you know what I think is uh, he was messing with some combustible shit. He was an experimenter. Yep. He was a, a forefather of rocketry. He was a pioneer, and pioneers sometimes do some dumb shit. Yeah, well, and when well, you're that cavalier with safety and get away with it for that long. Right. Like, it's going to bite you Even ass. if you the are clock, careful. The clock's ticking. You know, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. you're... you're you're well, gonna kill yourself. And and here's eventually. the thing. I'm gonna poo-poo the whole idea by doing a spell because I heard that whole thing too. Like he was trying to concoct something and he was doing a ritual and a summoning. The problem with that is a lot of times when he did these, he it, number one, he didn't really do them in the in the light of day. They were set up, they were patterns, and he had a designated spot to do them. Yeah. Not the same place where he did all of his previous work explosions rocket work you don't mix the two it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and so unless he's completely lost his fucking mind i, I don't i think the spell thing's completely out of the question i think really he probably he, it was a boo-boo he probably you wasn't know? trying to do a spell right then and there in that space but um i i don't and maybe he got repercussions off something yeah i don't possibly. immediately discount the idea that like all of his dabblings with the dark arts and caught up with him yeah yeah could be yeah but i, I mean, catch you behind you closed go, doors you got to go occam's razor with this one and it's like you're playing right. with combustibles um and you fucked up and right. maybe he fucked up be you if you want to attach all the dabblings and magic and ritual and stuff maybe that allowed him to fuck up maybe yeah um but I, you know, when you get down to it, it's, uh, he, he fucked up. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I don't it was think most, there's any other way to say it. No, I, mean, I think it was most likely. It almost an reminds accident. me of the coronavirus excuse now. It's like, well, no, he didn't die of coronavirus. He had uh, a weak kidney. It's oh, like, oh, okay. It's like, no, he fucking would died he, of coronavirus. Yeah. Would he have <laughs> died if he didn't get sick? Yeah. God. Like, anyway. if a drunk driver hits you and you fucking got like, Really bad asthma. Did you die because you had really yeah. bad asthma? And no, you and breathe in it, the fucking ambulance. No, it, you died because you got hit by a fucking car. And honestly, like that's the way. Not just with this current pandemic, but in any kind of crisis like this in general, that the deaths attributed to it are often underreported because the death is attributed to a pre-existing condition or you know any any other thing like that is yeah. like it's actually really 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 common so if any of you guys are like pandemic people listeners um that should not knock, knock it off <laughs> anyway get off youtube yeah but, exactly um, unless you're watching our podcast there and then finish it and get off <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's uh that i mean that's my take on it is he he yeah. just messed up and it's a coincidence that he just blew it well there's a couple of things to add to which you covered we talked about this earlier um his mom unfortunately oh yeah yeah, yeah you well, know um so within four hours of the news mm-hmm. of her son dying she swallowed a bunch of pills and killed herself yeah so um yeah she heard the news that jack parsons her her son yeah her only son uh, yeah, her only son blew himself up, and she was so devastated. She ate a bunch of pills, and four hours later, she was, was dead. That? She was yeah. dead. Um, by yeah. The t- by the time the doctor got there, um, it was 
it was too late. There, there was definitely some uh, repercussions and other people that got hurt. He had some close friends and family. That, of course, you talk about the conspiracy of somebody who's out to get him. And th- some of this was them worrying about that because of how close they worked with him on these things. And they worried about their line. Well, what if somebody was sabotaging? Mm-hmm. Now they're worried about what they're doing. There was a lot of repercussions for quite some time um, afterwards. There actually was a couple of court hearings actually involved too after the fact. Um just it, but what's really cool is you. So you to this day, you can go to J, GPL, which is a Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and they actually have a little display slash museum set up, which has pictures of him, his accomplishments, what you know, because there was a, there was a time that they buried that when he was getting fucking kooky, yeah, and the FBI was wanting him and everything else, and then they kind of brought that to fruition, and and that's there for everybody to see. So, um, you know, in all in all. I will say just as, on my side, my two senses, number one fascinating character, but you know what? He might have been a genius rocketeer. He was not a genius occultist. <laughs> it was something that he was dabbling in. He was trying to make it work. He befriended the wrong people at the wrong times. It caused huge grief in his life, and it caused a lot of turmoil that just sent him spiraling down a rabbit hole. If he would have been a little bit more cautious with that and what he was doing, I don't think that would have been the case, but yeah. he just ate it so much. He wanted to fall in love with it so much that it just like, bit him in the ass. I, I, I mean, I agree with that sentiment completely. So... I've been fighting my way through the trickster and the paranormal. Um, and uh, I just like before I came over here today was reading some of it and they were talking about a, uh, about how dabbling in this shit without knowing what the fuck you're doing is extremely fucking dangerous. Extremely. Yep. Um, there was a old head of the folklore program at USU prior to uh, Dr. Lynn McNeil um, back in the nineties who was working extensively with the Navajo and learning a lot of the coyote stories and stuff. And they're only to be told and, and read and, and he tape recorded them. And they specifically said, don't even play the tapes unless it's winter. That's the season for the stories because they're so, because he was trying to dissect the stories and figure out what they meant. Kind of the same way these guys are dealing Mm -hmm. with their magical workings. Right. And, um, uh, an elder basically was like, Hey, what you're doing could be, looks like trying to become a witch. So are you ready for someone in your family to die? Cause that's the price you pay. And he was like, I'm just researching this shit. And they're like, it's close enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Know? So it's yeah. like, somebody said, well, yeah. And you know what? It, like we said earlier, you know, if you have enough intentions behind something, the universe will make it happen. I, I, I believe in that firmly and I've seen it happen. I've right. seen results, and, you know, and I think the more in depth you make that, and the more ritual you put behind just that mm-hmm. intention, the more you uh, are dealing with, I, I don't know, consciousness probably isn't the right word, but there's something. That might be the right word, to be honest with you, And though. it's got tricky, tricksy elements yeah. to it, yeah. and it's going to demand a price. I mean, maybe not consciousness, how we think consciousness exists, but there's a totally another platform about how that is. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I think that that's, that's fair to say. So I, I guess I'm just saying if you're if you're doing magic, be careful. Yeah, know what the hell, especially when you're doing certain types of magic. Chaos magic, for example. I read a chaos magic. That sh- well, and the reality is people do chaos magic every day and they don't even know they're doing it. But if you're actually doing chaos magic and you're focusing on it, that yeah, you you better read up, be doing it with somebody that gives a shit. Let them know <laughs> where you're at. Mm-hmm. I mean, it I, I don't know. I've heard stories and I've seen some things that uh can't be explained with other than just, you know, something got them. They weren't paying attention. 
So, yeah. but that's the story of Jack Parsons. I don't know. I mean, um, I only had one more thing, and it, yeah. this has been bothering me. Um, the book that you read, Shane, is called Sex and Rockets, and the authors just fucking missed a layup by not calling it Love and Rockets, <laughs> and it's just been bugging the <laughs> fuck out of me. You know, I never thought about that. That's <laughs> absolutely true. Well, it was cool as a whole introduction forward on this book is actually written by a not a member of the um, Odo, but a, a branch fraternity of, and he practices magic. So he's it's really cool because he's very in-depth. He understands what's behind it and, and how, like we just talked about, yeah, how important careful. it really is. He's careful. In what, and that's kind of the perception he took. So it was kind of neat to start with that because he really breaks that down from that viewpoint. So, you know. Yeah. Um, I just had one more thing, and this is just kind of – I don't know, it, it kind of goes back to when we were talking about rocketry in the very beginning and how mainstream science poo-pooed it, and mm -hmm. they just thought Jack Parsons and Ed Foreman were just a bunch of kooks, and no one wanted to give them funding, and it's all stupid, and, you know, we always talk about it. It's like, well, it's, you know, it's paranormal until it's proven, mm -hmm. and then yeah. it's science, and there's uh, just a really cool quote in the book that I read, um, and that book is Strange Angel. Uh, the Otherworldly Life of Rocket Scientist, John Whiteside Parsons. It's written by George Pindle, but he starts off every chapter with quotes, and I just really like this one, and it's, uh, it is therefore a truism, almost a tautology, to say that all magic is necessarily false and barren. For were it ever to become true and fruitful, it would no longer be magic, but science. Hmm. And any, and then there, and that's by Sir James George Fraser, the Golden uh, Baum. And then there's another quote by Sir Arthur C. Clarke, and it's, any sufficiently advanced mm -hmm. technology is indistinguishable from magic. I was just going to... That's... Yeah. Just atrociously misquote that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you had that on your mind. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about that. Um, yeah, because basically... But we, we talked about that, though. If you dropped I mean, your iPhone back a couple hundred years... Yeah. That shit would be magic. Right. You oh, know yeah. what right, I mean? Right, Exactly. So as we make uh, evolvements and we grow and we progress, um, you know, who's to say something that used to be called paranormal isn't anymore. Yeah. But then again, you know, we talk about it. You take the fun out of it. You know, that's kind of a bummer too. You know, like the chase is over at a certain point. Yeah. But I don't know. Anyway, um, that is the story of Jack Parsons. I personally love researching it. Uh, I, the guy absolutely fascinates me in his life and, and his works. There's a couple documentaries out there that I, I still mm -hmm. will follow up on a watch because it, it's, I think it's amazing. Yeah. And you know. he gets mentioned like that. I think ancient aliens and all of the history channel shows each have done right. an episode right. or two on him. Um, yeah. It, it's a super interesting story. Yeah. Well, and I think what got me into it and the reason I pitched it to you guys was because I listened to a couple Canadian brothers who have some documentaries out and they're the ones that initially talked about that portal that him and Hubbard mm -hmm. were working on that they kept open. And it just so happened it was in 1947. It was during Roswell. It was like they were piecing all this together that, hey, weird shit happened during this time because things came through. And they couldn't figure out how to close it down to prevent these things from coming through. Whether how much proof that is or not, or it's a th again, the theory. Theories yeah, are fun. And very interesting. You know, so anyway. I'll just call that fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but folks, 
that is our last of season three. We're going to take a two week uh, hiatus as far as releasing, but something, but like John said, we're still going to research. We're still going to look at interviews. We're still going to try to get that stuff together. So um, hopefully you guys stay safe on your side at that time. If you have a story or you have an encounter, you have a tale, please call us at 801-252-6945. You can also write us at strangejungles at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. Tell us recommendations, anything. And uh, if you want more of Strange Uncles, which I can't imagine why you wouldn't, become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash strangeuncles. Give us your money. Um, <laughs> you whisper creepily on the mic. <laughs> uh, any other social tags, anything? Uh, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Strange Uncles Podcast, uh, Strange Uncles on Twitter. Um, Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes. Absolutely. It helps us with visibility and all that jazz. And all that j- Oh, you threw the word jazz in there. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sticking with us through this season, and um, we will be back with season four. I believe it comes after three. Yeah. Jesus. Does it? Yeah. It's been... It's been a bit. This has been a very yes, long man. season. <laughs> As we might want to reconfigure next season. Four. Daddy needs a nap. <laughs> so anyway, with that being said, we love all you guys out there. Uh, stay strange. Close the gates. You've been listening to a fourth hand production.